Uh, if you are remaining with us, I encourage you to turn to John chapter 16. That's going to be our, our passage this morning. Um, as many of you know, this week was uh, St. Patrick's Day, and uh, many of you know that we are Irish in our family, and so uh, we find ways to celebrate St. Patrick's Day each year and try to honor that uh, a holiday, and that includes a big meal and some other things that we do each year. Um, but needless to say, the sort of soundtrack of our house and our life this week has been the Irish band U2. Uh, maybe you've heard them before, but we always say, well, hey, it's St. Patrick's, so we've got to listen to some Irish rock music uh, throughout the week. So in many ways, you'll have to indulge me because U2 was the soundtrack of this sermon uh, as I prepared and wrote it this week. Uh, but one of their songs came to mind as I thought about our passage, and uh, the song is called In a Little While. And if you uh, hear the story about this song from the lead singer, he's pretty honest in saying that uh, the song came about after a really long night. Uh, he tells the story about how he slunk into the studio one morning, uh, really hungover from the night before, having only slept for two hours, and he wrote this simple little song uh, that didn't have much meaning in the moment, but still made the album and uh, carried a lot of significance. But he said that the song took on a greater significance uh, months, even years later, and that was because he found out that uh, one of his great friends, Joey Ramone, who was the, the lead singer of The Clash, uh, was dying. And so he wanted to go see uh, his friend Joey on his deathbed. And he said he went into the hospital to sit there with his friend who was dying. He didn't know what to say. So what did he do? He sang that song, this song, In a Little While. And the lyric goes like this. He said, in a little while, I won't be blown by every breeze. In a little while, this hurt will hurt no more, I'll be home. And he said when he sang that to his friend on his deathbed, it's like the words of that song took on a spiritual meaning. Now, I don't know where sort of the lead singer of U2 is spiritually, but I do know that he reads his Bible. So I'm sure that the words of our passage were ringing in his ears when he wrote that song, and I think you'll see why in just a moment. So the, uh, the passage we're going to read this morning is John chapter 16, and I'm going to be reading uh, from verses 16 to 24. This is God's word. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you'll not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. 
Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. This is God's word. Father, be with us as we contemplate your word this morning, as we think about what it means to find joy in the midst of sorrow, what it means to find peace in a world that feels at chaos. I pray that your words um, would ring deeply into our hearts, that they wouldn't just be words on a page, but they would be words that take on life and change us as your spirit changes us. So we pray for your spirit to come as we meditate on your word this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. If you've been with us this Lenten season, you'll know that we've been looking at what's called the the upper room discourse, which is this long, lengthy conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, John chapter 13 to 17. Uh, It's this long conversation that he has with his disciples, really the the night in which he was betrayed. It's the conversation that happens over the table at that Last Supper. And so we know that Jesus is about to be arrested We know that he is uh, about to be crucified. And so his words that he wanted to share with his disciples are really some of his last words. They're the things he wants his disciples to remember when, in the midst of the chaos that really is about to ensue all around them. And if you've been with us, you'll know we looked at the passage where Jesus says that he is the way and the truth and the life. We've looked at the passage that says Jesus is the true vine and that his followers are to abide in him at all times. We've looked at his discussion of the Holy Spirit and the power and the comfort that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. And of course, last week we looked at at how he reminded uh, his disciples of the hate and the persecution that they will no doubt receive if they continue to associate with him. Well, our passage this morning, Jesus reminds them uh, of something is equally important. He reminds them that their sorrow that they are about to experience, that their sorrow will at one moment be turned into joy. And all of this will happen in a little while. That's the phrase that keeps coming up, in a little while. Look at verse 16. Christ says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So there's that phrase, in a little while, in our passage, that's actually one word in the Greek language. It's the word uh, mikron, and it is repeated seven times throughout this little passage in John chapter 16. And part of the reason it's repeated uh, so frequently is because the disciples are incredibly confused by what Jesus means by this seemingly cryptic phrase. And if you'll notice, the disciples have been relatively silent throughout this whole conversation, but finally their silence is interrupted and they speak up here in this passage. They say in verse 17, what is this that he is saying to us? In verse 18, what does he mean uh, by this phrase in a little while? Or, or we don't know what he is talking about. What on earth is Jesus talking about as he's talking about all these things? Now, it's a reminder to us, and it was to the disciples at that moment, that Jesus rarely speaks in specifics. And that often frustrated those that were around him. So Jesus, in order to clarify, uh, says, simply tells them, that a moment is coming 
soon, in a little while, where they will lament and where they will be sorrowful. A moment is coming when the world around them will think that they have won. But Jesus says, in just a little while, your sorrow, your lament will be turned into joy and no one will ever be able to take that joy away from you. And so what in the world is Jesus talking about here to his disciples? Well, I think simply put, what Jesus is alluding to with them, without even speaking about the specifics, what he is alluding to is his own death and particularly his resurrection on the third day. You see, Jesus was the only one there that knew the path that was before them. He understood that in just a few hours, he was going to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He understood that he would be put on a mock trial in the middle of the night, a trial that was full of all sorts of injustices. He knew that in just a few short hours that the voices all around him would be crying out for him to be crucified, and he knew that those voices would win. He understood that he would be paraded outside of the city, that he would be crucified on the hill of the skull amongst common criminals. He knew that his death was imminent. In fact, you could even say he was on his own proverbial deathbed when he was sharing these words with his disciples. And he knew that because of all of that, that their enemies would think that they had won, that they had gained the victory. But I think Jesus also knew what this would do, not only to him, but what this would do to his disciples, his friends. He knew that they would lament over what was about to happen. He knew that they would be sorrowful. He knew that they would wonder in the corner of their hearts whether this had all been a waste. Had this past three years of following Jesus just been a waste of time because their hopes would now feel like they were dashed in pieces all over the place. It would feel like that their enemies, the people that had it out to them for years, it would feel like that their enemies had gained victory, that their enemies had won. And in a little while, all of this would happen, not only to Jesus, but to his disciples as well. And so what does Jesus say? He says, in a little while, all this is going to happen, but again, in a little while, Jesus says, you will see me again. You see, Jesus knew that that sorrow, that lament, would be turned into joy that is unspeakable on Sunday morning. He knew that that joy would be because the grave would not hold him, that his enemies would not end up triumphing over him, that even death would be defeated in his resurrection because the grave would not hold him. And that joy that would come from the resurrection would be a joy that no one would ever be able to take away from them. Friends, what we do every Easter, which is just two weeks away, what we do every Easter is we look back with joy at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
The disciples' sorrow was transformed into joy, and that same joy is made available to you and I through the power of the resurrection. And what that means for us is that death, lament, sorrow, pain, all those things that we deal with day in and day out, those things will not have the final word. That's what the resurrection shows us. But I, don't, I think what we do is, is we don't just look back to the resurrection, but I think there's a whole other element to this passage as well. We don't just look back to Christ's resurrection and the joy that it brings, but what we also do is we look forward. We look forward to another resurrection that Jesus says will be the final culmination and consummation of our joy. We look forward to what the scriptures call the final resurrection. One of the things that the scriptures teach us is that Jesus' bodily resurrection that we look back at at Easter was really only the first of resurrections. The scriptures call it the first fruits of this resurrection power that comes from God. And the scriptures talk about a second resurrection, and in particular, it is a common theme throughout the Gospel of John. He says this in John chapter 5, Jesus teaches this. He says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus here talks about a second or a final resurrection, but what he says about it is, is very sobering. This is sobering news because what the scriptures are pretty clear about is that no one does good. And so therefore, this resurrection will be a resurrection of judgment for all because none have done good. And so, of course, you marvel at Jesus' words. There has to be another way. There has to be another way to experience this power of resurrection life. Well, Jesus doesn't waste any time because just a chapter later, in John chapter 6, Jesus says this, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, what Jesus is saying is that that final resurrection doesn't need to be a resurrection of judgment. It can be a resurrection to life. How is this possible? It's not because we earned it, but because we have looked to the Son and we have believed. Friends, there is a bodily resurrection of life that will come at the end of all things, and it will come to those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, the million-dollar question is, uh, when will all of this happen? That certainly is what the disciples were thinking uh, and wondering about as they were interacting with Jesus, and it is what we wonder as followers of Jesus as well. When will all of this happen? When will this take place? Well, Jesus' answer is this. 
in a little while. It will happen in a little while. One of the things that you discover as you look at the scriptures is the time, that this thing called time works a little funny in the Bible because after all, we're dealing with God as the main character of our scriptures. And of course, 2 Peter reminds us that we shouldn't overlook the fact that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. So whenever you're operating with God who sits above time, uh, time gets a little funny or it's a little different. We, as God's creatures, are people who are bound by time. Each one of us is allotted a certain amount of time by God, and at some point, those years will come to an end. And so the book of James talks about this, and it offers some wisdom when it comes to God's people as they think about time. Because what James argues is that those who believe that they are guaranteed time are actually people who have been given to arrogance and foolishness. The people who believe that they are owed or guaranteed time have given in to arrogance and foolishness. Instead, what James argues is that the wise person recognizes that we have no guarantees. We have no guarantees. In fact, what James argues is that the wise person recognizes three things when it comes to time. One, that life is short, that life is short. James says that, that our life is like a vapor, a morning mist that appears for just a little while and then disappears into nothing. Uh, Job in the Old Testament said a very similar thing when he describes our life as a breath a cloud that fades and vanishes. And so what James says is that the wise person recognizes that their physical life on this earth is short, but that eternity is forever. I, I want you to think back a little bit to, to your high school geometry class. And I heard this illustration once before. Uh, remember back to high school geometry, they had this thing called a ray. An array was like a dot. I'm not using this in technical terms, but it was like a dot, and then an arrow came out of it, and, and that dot represented a fixed period of time, and the arrow moved into all of infinity. And at one point, I heard a pastor say, our lives are like array. We have a fixed point at which our lives begin, but our souls carry into forever they carry into eternity. And so when we think about the vast extent of eternity, then our lives on this earth, guess what? They feel pretty short when you compare them to all of eternity. I think the, the older I get, the more and more I come to terms with this very fact. And so that's what James is saying, that the wise person recognizes first and foremost that our lives are short. They're like a mist that appears for a little while and then is gone. But what James also wants us to see is that the wise person also understands that Jesus' return, that final resurrection that we spoke about, Jesus' return could also come at any moment. It could come at any moment. Jesus says it will come like a thief in the night. Nobody knows the when, nobody knows the how, and nobody knows the what. 
And so Jesus was very sort of uh, effusive about the particulars of his return, but he, was, he made very clear that God's people are to stay awake, to be ready, to be prepared, because in a little while, I will return. And so James says life is short, that Christ's return, that final resurrection could come at any moment, but finally, he wants us to see that the wise person recognizes that what lies ahead is far better than what we leave behind. What lies ahead is far better than what we leave behind. And Jesus here uses, in our passage in John, uses, I think, an incredibly powerful illustration about this that I don't think I fully understood until I had my own kids. Jesus here describes a woman uh, who was in labor and who was feeling an extreme amount of pain. And then once the child was born, all that pain is forgotten and it's transformed into joy. Well, those of you that know me know that I have four kids and I had the wonderful privilege of being there for the birth of, of each one of my kids. And for my two oldest kids, um, for my boys, uh, my wife uh, took the, the drugs that helped reduce the pain. Um, but for the two girls, the child three and four, uh, she chose not to. And so the girls were born uh, without any sort of drugs. She decided to skip it. And so I witnessed firsthand the pain of childbirth. And what was funny is with the last two, uh, I saw my wife in so much pain that I actually started to feel a little nauseous and dizzy. And in both cases, the nurses came up to me and they said, are you okay? Uh, the nurses were, were more concerned about me than they were about my wife even giving birth there. But at the end of every delivery, at the end of every delivery, it was as if that pain vanished in a moment when my wife held that child for the very first time, all the pain was instantly forgotten. Friends, if you were with us last week, we saw that the road was gonna get very difficult for Jesus' disciples. Jesus was very clear that they would be hated, that they would be persecuted, and in many cases that they would be martyred for following Jesus. But that lament that sorrow, that pain was only temporary because the moment they saw their Savior on the other side, their pain would disappear in just a moment because it was transformed into joy. Friends, I don't have to tell you that this life that we live, whether we're persecuted and hated or not, this life that we live has its fair share of pain it has its fair share of sorrow. It has its fair share of lament. And we live in that reality every single day. But friend, know that if you are Christ's own, if you belong to him, then your pain and your sorrow is only temporary. What Jesus is saying here is in a little while, Jesus will return or you will go to meet him. In a little while, Jesus will wipe every tear away from your eyes. In a little while, your sorrow will be erased by joy. And that's why C.S. Lewis famously wrote, what lies ahead is far better than what we leave behind. And that joy, Barclay says, is joy that will never be taken away from us. It is full, it is perfect, it is complete, it is joy that is indestructible.
And I think David, King David understood this. I think that's why he wrote Psalm 27 in the midst of a very difficult and painful time of his life. And yet in the midst of his chaos and mess, he said, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your hearts take courage. Wait for the Lord. And so, friends, wait for the Lord. It will only be a little while. You too wrote another song. I told you, I, was, I confessed that I would do this. Uh, you too wrote another song on that same album, uh, and it was called uh, Stuck in a Moment That You Can't Get Out. And there's a story behind that song as well. And that is that another um, uh, band member or from another band uh, found himself in a very depressive and difficult state and wound up taking his own life. He committed suicide. And uh, this deeply affected uh, the band of U2 and, of course, the lead singer as well. And so he decided to write a song about that grief of seeing a friend commit suicide. And it was the only way he could process his own feelings. And so he wrote this song as a, a message to what he would have said to his friend to try to help him out of his depression and out of his suicidal thoughts because he simply believed his friend had been stuck in a moment that he simply couldn't get out of, that the waves of pain and life had consumed him. So this was a song he wrote that he wished he could have said to his friend in that dark moment. And he writes this, if the night runs over and if the day won't last and if your way should falter along this stony path, it is just a moment and this day will pass. Friends, I don't have to tell you that we live through some pretty dark moments. Maybe you're sitting here, you're joining us on a live stream, and you feel like you're stuck in a very dark moment. These are moments that we can get stuck in, and life feels like it can overwhelm us. They are full of pain and sadness. But in Jesus, know that this day will pass, and in just a little while, your sorrow will be turned into joy. Let's pray.